welcome to Crime Historian, the podcast. I'm your host, Ashley, teacher by day, true crime nerd by night. I'd like to start off episode two with a disclaimer. This episode is explicit. You should obviously not be listening to anything like this in the car with your kids. Not that you would really be listening to anything like this with your kids anyway, but just in case you were, don't. This episode features, unfortunately, disgusting, gut-wrenching, nauseating sexual crimes committed against innocent victims, including children. I'll be honest with you. As a parent myself, the story was hard to read, and I imagine it'll be harder still to talk about. In fact, I initially walked away from the story for about a week. I thought, no way I'm talking about this. This is too much. But I came back to it. Why? Because it angers me that if any part of this story is true, the man who committed these crimes may have a shot at exoneration. So ultimately, I weighed the cost of telling a story that isn't mine to tell against the cost of not telling it. As you can see, telling the story won out. I take the risk of telling someone else's story because I think it's important to be aware. To be aware of the monsters lurking, not to sensationalize and dramatize them, but to be aware, cautious, and vigilant against letting them re-enter society with you, me, and our children. So there's your warning. Proceed with caution. Having said that, the man I will be telling you about today was convicted of the kidnapping and murder of an eight-year-old girl from Louisiana. This occurred on June 2nd, 1985. The man's name, John Francis, last name W-I-L-L-E. I'm not totally sure how to pronounce it, as I was unable to find any video media coverage of the news story. I'm not sure if that's because it happened so long ago, but the only coverage I could find were online articles. So I'm going to pronounce John Francis's last name as Will. I will tell the story as if he is guilty, though once we get to the end, I will briefly describe why his guilt is in question. I've always believed that there are three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth. And while I will admittedly give significantly more airtime to the prosecution side, I will briefly oblige Will's claim of innocence. I feel that, if that is ever in question, it should be at least alluded to. However, since he has been convicted in a court of law, the only ifs, ands, or buts I will entertain in this story will surface near the end. So without further ado... John Francis Will, born Valentine's Day, 1964, still living, victims totaling six, the one he was convicted for, the June 2, 1985 kidnapping, rape, and gruesome murder of a child, location spanning all across the Gulf Coast of the U.S., this one specifically occurring in the woods of Louisiana, apprehended August of 1985. Legal status? His death sentence was overturned in 2014 to life in prison. His lawyers, working pro bono, are attempting to exonerate him of this grisly crime. I initially struggled with how to set up this case, mainly because there is so much, and there is a significant backstory. Ultimately, I decided to borrow and read to you from law.justia.com to set up a story. These proceedings arose out of the June 2nd, 1985 abduction, rape, and murder of eight-year-old girl, Nicola Pata. 
This tragic episode began when the defendant, accompanied by his girlfriend, Judith Walters, and Walters' 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, drove from their residence in Milton, Florida, to Louisiana, where the defendant had lived most of his life. After they entered Louisiana, the defendant stopped to pick up an acquaintance, Billy Phillips, who was hitchhiking on the highway. Defendant had been drinking alcohol during the trip, and he continued drinking with Phillips as they drove into New Orleans. Now let me get something straight right here. I am in no way suggesting that Will's girlfriend Judith's 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, was willingly involved in the crime. In fact, if we had to guess, she was probably coerced into it. At the time of the crime, she reportedly was suffering from bronchitis and had been feverish. Furthermore, once you hear about the way that Will treats women and children, it wouldn't be such a stretch for us to assume that Sheila herself was probably abused. She probably had no choice. So the stage is set. John Francis Will, his girlfriend, Judith Walters, her 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, and a friend, Billy Phillips, arrive at an apartment complex in Louisiana on June 2, 1985, around 4 p.m. Will and Phillips head into the apartment complex in the direction of the playground and the pool area. Judith opts to stay in the car, while Sheila, needing to use the bathroom, runs after the men. Judith remained in the car until Will came back without her daughter. She worried. Where was Sheila? Will, at that point, reportedly, then went back. When he returned to the car, he was with Phillips and Sheila, who was hand-in-hand with a little girl, eight-year-old Nicole Lampata. Judith returned to the shotgun seat. Will got behind the wheel, and Phillips, Sheila, and Nicole got in the back seat. Nicole sat in the middle. They continued driving around. Phillips began putting his hands on Nicole. He forced her to sit on his lap, and Nicole began to scream and cry. It was at that point that Will hit her. According to Judith, this is when she began to think, quote, something bad was going to happen, end quote. I was wanting to take her somewhere and put her out and take her back where they got her or take her where she was going or just get her out of the car. I just had a feeling that something was going to happen and John told me that she belonged to Billy. The way John said it, I was afraid that he was planning on doing something to this little girl it was. It wouldn't, he didn't say it like it would have been his daughter or akin to him or anything like that. It was kind of hateful the way that John said she belonged to Billy. I then knew that something bad was going to happen and it was going to be with that little girl. I knew in my mind what was going to happen. I didn't know anybody was going to get killed, but I knew that that guy in the back seat was going to do something to that little girl and John wasn't doing anything to help. According to her own confession, during the period of time when Judith first felt that something bad was going to happen, leading up to the deaths of Nicole and Billy Phillips, she had several opportunities to remove herself and her daughter and maybe even Nicole from the situation. The party stopped several times, once or twice at a couple of power plants, 
and then again at the Exxon station at the intersection of Interstate 10 and Interstate 51. This is where, according to Judith's confession, that Nicole began crying, and she, Sheila, Will, and Nicole got out of the car to use the bathroom. Once I started driving again, Judith, Sheila, and Will shared the front seat together. This left Billy Phillips to, quote, messing with, end quote, Nicole in the back seat. Again, this is according to Judith's confession. Phillips continued to abuse Nicole. Fast forward a bit through some odd exchanges between the party. Eventually, they park. Everyone is still in the car. Will and Phillips share the back seat with Nicole, abusing her sexually and physically. This is where it gets nauseating. Phillips raped Nicole, while Willie, at the other end, forced his genitalia into her mouth. Reportedly, Judith was also in the back seat, on the floor, and also, interchangeably, had her mouth on Will's genitalia. She remained, her face next to Nicole's throughout the whole ordeal. And, I'm sorry, this makes my stomach hurt to think about it. Like I said at the beginning of the story, I originally thought about not doing it. Because it's just disgusting. But these details are all available on the internet. And I feel like it would be too kind to this man to not mention the specific details. Because if a man is possibly up for exoneration, the crime that was committed needs to be reviewed in detail. The confessions cannot be overlooked. That being said, at this point, Will ejaculates on Judith's and Nicole's faces. He then changes place with Phillips, raping Nicole, while Phillips takes his former place. Will, experiencing difficulty in performing the rape, and his anger, punched Nicole in the face, at this point broke her leg, and this is when he strangled her to death. All the while, to my knowledge, Sheila's in the front seat. Again, not really totally sure what she's doing at this point. It's not well detailed. After Nicole's dead, Will turns her over on her stomach and anally rapes her while making out with his girlfriend. Phillips reportedly comes around behind Will and also has intercourse with him. At this point, Judith says she became concerned that people driving by or passing by might see what's going on. I don't know what kind of car they're driving and how big this car is. Um, for this story to be true, there must be a really big back seat or the doors must be open. 
I'm not sure how this information could be corroborated with any other evidence. But um, this is Judith's confession. And later, when Sheila, her daughter, was interviewed, their stories um, matched up. They reportedly all drove off again with Nicole's body in the back seat. At this point, Phillips then admitted to having had sex with Sheila, the 14-year-old daughter, earlier, which enraged Will. Will kicked Phillips out at the side of the road, and he drove off. Then he turned around and kicked Judith out of the car, too. Judith and Phillips walked around the woods, and they walked down the road until Will came back to get him. Judith and Will sat on the ground on their sleeping bag in the woods talking about Nicole. She said, I didn't know what he intended to do with this little girl, but I had, I, uh, I just knew he was going to put her out somewhere around there. Because, I mean, you just couldn't go driving around town with dead people in your car. At this point, the sexual activity continued between Judith and Will, between Phillips and Nicole's dead body. And again, not sure what Sheila's doing. According to Judith, about Nicole. Her face was just, it was just completely out of it. It didn't look like a face. Part of it was like it was tore, or you could see the bone. At this point, Phillips then took Nicole's body back to the car. Judith and Will had a fight. Phillips came back from the car and saw Judith and them fighting, so he joined in. At this point, Will stabs him. Judith sits on the ground next to Will, and watches him stab Phillips repeatedly and mutilate his body by cutting off his genitalia. Ultimately, Judith began stabbing Phillips too for a total of, I believe, 80 to 85 stab wounds on his body. Will then cut off his hand. Judith zipped up his body into the sleeping bag with Will's assistance and they Each picked up an end of the bag, carried it back to the car, and put it into the back seat where Nicole's body was. They then got back into the car with Sheila and drove off. I'm assuming Sheila's in the front seat with them. Judith and Will dropped his body, Phillips' body, into the water from a bridge and put the sleeping bag back in the trunk. Then they got back into the car, drove on a little ways before they stopped again, and then Judith and Will went back into the woods with Nicole's body. Judith supposedly at this point, witnessed Will having intercourse with the body again. Then they left it behind in the woods and drove off with Sheila. On the drive back to the New Orleans area, Judith tossed a package of clothes and shoes out the car window. Then they stopped for fried chicken at Popeye's in Louisiana before driving back to Florida. At this point, Judith says that Will switched around the contents of the bags of food because she opened her bag and she was confronted with 
What the report says, bloody objects instead of the fried chicken that she had expected. Um, and the footnote on the article that I read says that they assumed that they were Phillips's severed body parts, but it, honestly, it could have been anything. These facts were taken from Judith's statement to law enforcement officials that a tape recording of this statement was played to the jury. She claimed to be the innocent bystander. Um, she said she thought if she could have done something, she would have, and she tried, but she really couldn't do anything. She said that Will had punched her and hit her repeatedly during these crimes. Um, and I guess that was probably something she used to defend herself and um, her role. However, the cashier who was interviewed at Popeye's did not note any signs of abuse or scars or any bruises on Judith's face um, immediately following those crimes. There was also another witness testimony. Um, the woman with whom they had been living with in Milton, Florida, said that they were very loving and very kissy the whole time they lived with her, even though there were some jealous arguments, like whatever the hell that means. Reportedly, the day after Judith and the others, I guess meaning Will and Sheila, came back from Louisiana, Judith scrubbed her car, including the back seat, which she had removed. I'm not really sure how you do that. Um, but she had removed and scrubbed it with Brillo pads. This took an entire day, and she also scrubbed the sleeping bag. Later on, the woman they lived with asked, hey, what happened to the sleeping bag? And Judith told her that they had hawked it or pawned it. Will supposedly did not participate in any of the cleaning. Um, and the woman also testified that neither Sheila nor Walters, um, sorry, neither Sheila nor Judith Walters looked um, bruised upon their return. A little over a month later, on July 15th, there was a man who was hitchhiking in the Baghdad area of Florida, which is near Milton. And y'all, all of this is happening along the Gulf Coast. So keep that in mind. So you have this man, Frank Powell, 26 years old, hitchhiking. He's cautioned by a state trooper. You can't hitchhike around here. He doesn't care. He's trying to get to where he's going. And he gets picked up by John Francis Will and Judith Walters. Um, what happened next depends on which website you read, um, the version I'm going to tell you is that they stop on the side of the road. John Francis Will and the hitchhiker have anal intercourse uh, off the side of the road somewhere. And somehow, some way, something goes bad and Will kills the hitchhiker. He then takes the hitchhiker, lays him in the middle of the road, and deliberately runs over his body. Hours later, back in Milton, the sheriff's deputies were called. Why? There was a landlord-tenant dispute. John Francis Will and Judith Walters had missed many rent payments, and their landlord wanted them out. I'm not totally sure if this is the same woman that they lived with, I haven't been able to um, make that correlation yet, but if you know, you can send me an email. Supposedly, 
having seen the police, John Francis Will left, but then he came back later and lit the mobile home on fire, which killed several of their family dogs. He was charged with first-degree arson, and wow, his girlfriend, Judith, started talking immediately. She told the police everything. Judith not only linked John Francis Will to the fire, she told them about the hitchhiker, Frank Powell. She also told them about another case years earlier in which he burned up another person's home in retaliation for her complaining to the police. Um, And this happened in La Place, Louisiana. In 1980, a 78-year-old woman um, died in that fire. And it was at that point that the police realized that he was a serial killer. So they were able to take his travels between Louisiana um, all the way to Florida and connect him with the other murders of Nicole and Colapata and Billy Phillips. He was also eventually suspected in the murder of a Houston resident and in the case of a Pensacola cab driver who was abducted and dumped in a ditch in Alabama. In custody, John Francis Will confessed to five of the murders, but he eventually took everything back. He recanted. John Francis Will was convicted of the murder of Nicole Lampata and given the death sentence. However, in 1995, along with Will, Sheila Walters and Judith Walters contended that their statements were coerced by investigators. Eventually, that made it to a court hearing. However, it took 14 years for the court to lower John Francis Will's sentence from the death sentence to life in prison. There are many reasons that his sentence was lowered. According to John Francis Will, his attorney was incompetent. The attorney himself called the trial a nightmare and said he felt overwhelmed by the legal process that he didn't even understand. In fact, the attorney was actually um, pretty much forced into representing John Francis Will um, because he was in trouble for a felony conviction, I think, involving some, maybe some embezzlement, some money laundering, something, some white-collar crime like that. And um, as a result, uh, you know, part of his um, process of, I guess, Um, redeeming himself, he had to represent John Francis Will. So um, he said that case was way beyond him, and he did not know what he was going to do. Um, He had been a former state senator, and um, that was part of his community service. So during the trial, John Francis Will's attorney did not interview any prosecution witnesses, including Judith, He didn't visit the crime scene or the apartment complex where Nicole was abducted. He said he did not understand the need for it, and he didn't know that he should have been doing it. So, as a result, he says, his client was convicted of first-degree murder. The prosecution's entire case rested on the confessions of Judith, Sheila, 
and John Francis Will. The three later, like I said, recanted the confessions, which John Francis Will's now new defense team says that they were forced to give. So, as far as I know, his new defense team is trying to get the entire murder conviction thrown out. They believe that the jury did not get to hear or deliberate on key evidence because his original attorney was incompetent and didn't present it or because the prosecution withheld the evidence. Of course, the district attorney denies that the prosecution hid the evidence. Um, and there are some witnesses that are supposed to help John Francis Will's um, testimony and supposed to help overturn his conviction. Um, one of the witnesses is a doctor, uh, actually a forensic anthropologist, who analyzed um, Nicole's death and Billy Phillips' death. And according to the confessions, as you'll remember just a second ago, um, Billy Phillips had participated in the crimes. And then John Francis Will killed him. But the forensic anthropologist says, no, 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 there is no way that they died on the same day. He said that based on the rate of decomposition, Billy Phillips died at least five days before Nicole, before Nicole was even kidnapped. The defense is trying to emphasize Billy Phillips' time of death because obviously it will help them discredit the confessions of their own client and Judith and Sheila. Um, the forensic anthropologist says the chance that the two died in the same day is, quote, scientifically highly improbable, end quote. However, he did acknowledge that his analysis included several assumptions um, and may not be entirely accurate just due to the rate of decomposition, temperature of the water, the temperature of... Um, you know, the area, the depth, all that stuff. So um, the prosecution argues that there is no accurate way to pinpoint the time of that death. So um, that leads us to the comments that I was reading online about the case. I wanted to know, what do people think who were affected by this? So I'm going to read to you a comment um, on one of the articles I, I read through to get my research. I, to this day, nearly 30 years later, remember that sweet baby's face. So tragic and so unbelievable. I think of her often as if she were part of my own family. 30 years later, I remember all of their names. I would like to know if Judith Walters is still in prison and what became of her daughter, who lured Nicole into the car. So I guess this all begs the question, if John Francis Will did not murder Nicole Lampata, then who did? And if he didn't, then why would law enforcement and the prosecutors have us believe that he did? Why would they manipulate him to force a confession? His girlfriend, his girlfriend's daughter, how could they get forced confessions that all corroborate? Quite frankly, I want him to be the guilty one. He's the puzzle piece that fits the best in the puzzle. But I also know there's always that possibility 
or maybe not always, but sometimes. Sometimes there's still that question in the back of your mind. And quite frankly, again, while good Americans like you and me are fearful of such monsters, we also like to buy the sensationalized tales. Remember the supposed satanic ritual killings in the 90s? Or how we wanted to believe that John Mark Carr actually did kill John JonBenet Ramsey? You know, at least until we got the facts. I mean, hey, you're listening to a true crime podcast. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe they needed us to buy the story because they couldn't uncover the real one. Or maybe they needed us to buy the story because it was true. Who's to say? Thank you for listening to Crime Historian, the podcast. Please visit me at crimehistorian.com for full credits and other criminal profiles. Visit me on Facebook or on Instagram, or email me at crimehistorian at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Thanks, and see you next time.